it's just been incredible to see how God has used this time in the church, this time of Lent to bring us closer to him, to help us understand where his heart is. And what we've been trying to reveal in this series is just the heart of Jesus as he comes closer to us, as he invites us into those moments of one-on-one conversations with him and with the people around him. And our conversation this morning circles around a woman. And it was a very controversial conversation that Jesus had. In fact, after this situation, after this meeting with this woman at the well, Jesus was mocked for it. He was called by the Pharisees, by the people who were seeking to tear him down. He was called a Samaritan in John 8. So this is a really important spot in Jesus' ministry. It's a big moment for him, and it's a decision that he doesn't make lightly. He goes to Samaria for a reason. Let's first look at the text, and then we will talk about what's happening in it. The reading this morning comes from John 4, 5 through 42. We're not going to read all of it at the beginning, um, but we'll come back to pieces of it. It says this, now he came to a Samaritan town called Suhar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink for his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who said it to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, but the water that I will give him will become, will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so he says to her, go get your husband and bring and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus says, right you are when you said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. 
But Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But, at its, but a time is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such people to do his to be his worshipers. God is spirit and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus goes to this woman on purpose. More than 3,000 years ago near the city of Shechem, in the land we know today as Israel, an unknown seeker began digging a hole in the crusty soil where he and his family scratched out a living. The back-breaking work became harder still as his pick hit the strata of limestone that sits just beneath the topsoil of this unforgiving land. The sun was hot, the dry, dusty air burned his throat and lungs. Nevertheless, the seeker continued working day after day, digging deeper and deeper, sending bucket after bucket of stone fragment to the surface. And months later, at a depth of more than 100 feet, the man finally struck what he was after. Up from the cracks in the limestone came bubbling the cold, clear liquid. And from the depths of that pit, the seeker cried out toward the heavens a single word of ecstatic praise. Water. The Bible tells us that in time, this land and its cistern would be bought for a hundred pieces of silver by Jacob, the grandson of Abraham and father of Joseph. The place would become known as Jacob's well, and from its depths would rise the grace that sustained generation upon generation of Israelites. And in time, however, this region in Canaan, known as Samaria, became shunned by traditional Jews. An offshoot of the Hebrew people established nearby on Mount Gerizim as their central place of worship, building on its summit a magnificent temple and declaring it not Jerusalem as the one true place where God should be honored. For this reason and among others, a great antagonism grew between Jews and their cousins, the Samaritans. When traveling between the southern and northern sections of Israel, most Jews and every Jewish holy man passed by Samaria altogether. They didn't walk through it. They walked around it. It was where sinners lived. And a lot of times when we think of this land of Samaria, we think immediately of the story of the Good Samaritan. And we think somehow that Jews had a really great picture of the Samaritans living in this region. But don't let that fool you. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Jesus went here with a purpose. He didn't go out of his way to go through Samaria. He actually made the road shorter to go from Jerusalem back to Galilee. And about halfway in between is this 
place where he stopped for water. Now, the woman that Jesus meets at the well in Suhar is so much different than the man we met last week. And in writing John, there's such a brilliance between chapters 3 and chapters 4. Because John shows us this woman who is uneducated, a learner. But Nicodemus from chapter 3 is an educated man who Jesus describes as a teacher of Israel. She is a Samaritan and he is a Jew. And she has a shameful past and he is a respected moral leader in his community. She meets Jesus at noontime and he meets Jesus at midnight. In the eyes of the gospel writer, this woman is a nobody. She doesn't even merit a name and her gender, religious orientation, social standing, and personal habits distance her from God, from Jesus, from her community. We expect that people try to avoid this woman and ignore her whenever possible. In fact, we know from her statements that she's no longer welcome to go with the other women to the well in the morning. Traditionally, water was drawn in the morning or the late afternoon in the coolness. But this woman was here by herself drawing water at the heat of the day. And Jesus finds her. Because Jesus is where he finds us. Jesus is there at the well waiting for her. Notice that he's already there. He sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. And then the Samaritan woman. He doesn't see her already at the well. He doesn't see her and say, oh, I should go and talk to her. He meets her there at her loneliest, most degrading time of her life, of her day. You see, the Samaritan woman, like the Jews in the desert, she is tormented by thirst. She had five husbands and feels unloved and cast aside and abused by a system that treats her like property, not a human. And I think one of our greatest mistakes when we read this text is to look for sin, we say, look at this poor woman. She's such a sinner. They were casting her out because she had so much sin. She had five husbands, and the person that she was with now wasn't even her husband. And look at all that sin, and Jesus still uses her. The text does not use the word sin, and neither does Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, your sins are forgiven. There is no mention of that process. And Jesus sits there and waits for her in whatever capacity she comes to him in. She doesn't even know which temple she's supposed to worship in. How am I supposed to go and meet my God? How am I supposed to confess my sins? How am I supposed to feel loved? How am I supposed to feel seen by a God who has abandoned me? Whether here on Mount Gerizim, whether in Jerusalem on Mount of Olives, where am I supposed to go and meet with the God who said he would be there for me? We wrestled with God in the desert. Is God here with us or not? 
She is tormented by the thirst that she has. And so Jesus digs for water. Jesus sees the limestone covering her heart and he starts to dig. Can a little thing like a cup of water offered in love be the beginning of a salvation journey? I say yes. And I say that we will never know until we meet a stranger and tend to a human first to even understand the beginning of thirst. See, we have water in abundance. We have everything that we need. Our water of the Great Lakes is packaged up and sold back to us. We have so much of it that we can just go to the store and buy it. We turn on our faucet and we get water. We don't understand what it means to thirst for water. In World War I, there's a story of a doctor at sea 1916 when the USS um, ship was destroyed at sea, 300 lives were lost in the first 12 minutes of that sinking. The rest of the 900 crew and soldiers that were on that boat were drifting at sea. And the doctor said that it took all that he could just to stop those 900 men from drinking the seawater. They were so thirsty that even seawater seemed like a good idea at the time. But it just created in them more and more thirst. And they started to become dehydrated. And they, they were dehydrated so much that they were hallucinating. And 300 additional people died from dehydration just from drinking the seawater alone. We have a problem with thirst, but we don't know it because we are satisfied with everything that comes our way. But notice in this story that it's Jesus who is thirsty. Notice that the woman is just coming to do her daily business. Notice that it's the woman who says, I need to do these things in order to live. And it's Jesus who's sitting there saying, I'm a little bit thirsty. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. Can you please perhaps give me something? Well, this is not the way it's supposed to work. You're a man. You're a Jew. You're not supposed to talk to me, a woman, a Samaritan, a hated, vile person in society. No, 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 no. If you understood what I was asking you, you'd be asking for the living water. But how can you come and get water at this well if you don't have anything to pick it from. And it's an interesting note in here that John gives us. He says, Jews and Samaritans shared nothing. So to get a drink from her buckets was the height, the height of foolishness for Jesus. Do you understand who I am? No, but do you understand who I am? Because if you understood who I am, you wouldn't have asked that question. And through the conversation, as Jesus slowly reveals himself, it becomes clear that the woman is the one who is thirsty. That Jesus starts out with this question, can I have a drink of water? 
But it's the woman who is tormented by thirst. The Samaritan woman thinks Jesus is the petitioner and fails to understand that it is not he who needs what she can, only she can provide, but she who needs what only he can give. This is the realization in that. C.S. Lewis in his landmark book, Mere Christianity, writes, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. An encounter with Christ sparks the imagination. It arouses our desire for the real thing. It burns in us a deepest desire to be in the presence of our creator. Every encounter with Jesus reveals just how thirsty we are. It reveals how far away from the living water we've traveled. We're tired on this journey. We're overlooked. We're oppressed. We're people that have been deemed outcasts in this culture, in this society, to say as Christians, we don't have the right to say the things that we believe. And yet here's Jesus coming to those exact people. Here's Jesus saying those things to us as he says to that woman there, I am here with you. The one who wants to reveal those things to you, I am him. We are tormented by the thirst to be with our creator to scale away the rock, the limestone of our hearts and experience true desire of our creator. So the best question we can ask in this text is, what does Jesus do with a thirsty heart? When we encounter Jesus, when Jesus speaks to us heart to heart, what does he want to do with that heart? You see, the Samaritan woman doesn't take a passive role in this conversation. Even as Jesus starts to reveal himself to her, she questions him. She pushes back a little bit on the things that he's saying. I see that you're a prophet, but we're waiting for someone to come and reveal these things to us. Well, you believe this, and we can only worship in Jerusalem, but yet here we are in this moment worshiping here. She doesn't take a passive role. She leaves everything. We continue in the text. It says this. Now, at that very moment, his disciples came back. They were shocked because he was speaking with a woman. Notice what it doesn't say. They were shocked because he was speaking with a Samaritan. They had seen Jesus reach people that were not of their kind before. 
In Jerusalem, there were many that he had probably encountered, all men. They were shocked because he was speaking with a woman. Rabbis didn't do this. However, no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went off into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and began coming to him. Notice she drops the thing she thought she needed most and shares in this good news with the people around her. Come and see a man who told me everything I did. What does God do with thirsty hearts? He invites them to come and experience him. He invites them to share that with other people. If you have a thirsty heart, if you desire God, you are inviting people into that experience. When you go to a restaurant, you are hungry, you want to eat, you want to experience the fullness of a great meal, and then you enjoy it, and you go and tell people what a great meal that was. You got to try the white fish at this restaurant. It was delicious. It was so good. And how is that any different than what she's doing? I wanted something in my heart. I'd been cast aside by five different men. I'd been cast aside by the women in my community. I can't even worship the God that I want to worship. My heart was empty and I longed for something big. And then this man showed up in my life and he filled me. And it was so good. I want you to be filled too. People that have thirsty hearts are inviting people into that moment. They're inviting people to come and share in those things that Jesus has for them. Because sometimes I feel like as Christians, we go to church and we get our buckets filled up and then we carry our buckets home and then we pour it in our little glass through the week. And then what happens, we bring our bucket back to church and we get it filled up again and we take it home and we dip our water glasses into it all week. And it continues again and again and again. And that means we're not drinking in the living water of Christ. Because what we should do is we should take what we have here and leave our water behind and say, come and see what we can do together. Come and see a Christ who is here now, ready to fill you. Man, I love Jesus so much. I want you to experience too. You guys are weird at your churches. You have Weird songs, you raise your hands, sometimes you clap, you drink blood. I don't even understand what's going on with that thing. Hey, it's fine. It's unusual. I get it. I understand. But this is not about any of that stuff. This is about coming and meeting with Christ, having an experience in the presence 
of God, an incarnation, the body of God here in our presence where we can go and do something with it. Her testimony leads her to proclaim with her words and her life the living water from Jesus and leads others to life. Watch this. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. He told me everything that I ever did. Her encounter with Jesus directly leads to other people believing. Not because they had an encounter with Jesus, not because she dragged them to church, not because she gave them a book to read through or a Bible study to attend. (laughs) If only it were so. The people of Samaria believed because she said, he is real. And he loves me and he loves you. And he told Nicodemus that God loves the world so much. And that's why he is here with us now because he loves us so much. I didn't feel love before this. Men cast me aside. The women of my town cast me aside. I haven't felt seen and loved like this before. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and because of his word, many more believed. They said to the woman, No longer do we believe because of your words, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one really is the Savior of the world. Oh, an encounter with Christ changes our hearts. There's a story, an incident in John 18. Jesus just gets done praying in the garden. He's led his disciples through this prayer. They keep falling asleep because they don't understand the importance of what's coming up. And chapter 18 opens with who? Judas coming for Jesus. The plan was already in place. It's set. I know where Jesus is. I'm gonna come and get him. And it says that there is a legion of Roman soldiers with Judas. 600 Roman soldiers come with Judas. Officers, soldiers. Where is Jesus? Judas demands. (laughs) Jesus says, here I am. What would you like? And 600 soldiers fall down. An encounter with Jesus moves our hearts. An encounter with Jesus moves us to do something. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, not am I doing something? Am I doing enough? The question is not, How can I continue to do this? The question is, do I thirst? Does my thirst torment me? Does my thirst have the better of me? Because if I just come to church and fill my bucket and go home and sip from that all week, I'm never going to feel thirsty. 
I'm never going to walk through Samaria. I'm never going to meet people that don't look like me or talk like me or think like me. I'm going to keep those people at arm's length. So the question is, do I thirst? And in this season of Lent, Jesus is asking us to determine whether we have denied ourselves enough water to long for the living water. In this self-rejection, in these 40 days, am I thirsty for God? God. 